Isn't there something very um, serene and settling about that, though? It's just a, just a combination of scripture and, and the music. Um, and we are going to look at a psalm today that was a combination, we now know it as a combination of scripture and music. Um, David, a musician, wrote many of the psalms, uh, but in particular, probably what is most famous today is the 23rd psalm. As he reflects on his life as a shepherd and how he cared for the sheep and made that parallel uh, between uh, the Lord, his good shepherd, and sheep. And so um, there is, I just kind of wonder if that's what maybe it was like out for David um, in, the, in the evening time as he sung that song and experienced that. Um, uh, before we read Psalm 23, let me ask a question. How many of you have been repelling on purpose? Yeah, okay. All right. Repelled down a, like a cliff or something? Okay, yeah. I, um, I was in high school and our... Uh, Mary Hazel, thank you. Just, just in the last couple of weeks? Is that what you were saying? No, okay, all right. <laughs> Um, when I was in high school, we took uh, the student council, went on one of those team building trips, and we went rappelling off of a 100-foot cliff. And I didn't know if it was like team building or if they thought maybe we had too many student council members, and this was a way of kind of thinning the herd. But um, So there we are at the top of this, uh, just kind of on this precipice. They said it was 100 feet. I think it was closer to 1,000. Um, uh, I was... Um, then I was not, um, I, then I was very afraid of heights and now I'm terrified of heights. So, so it, whatever, you know, the whole face your fears thing is bunk. Um, it didn't, uh, it did not work for me, but there, uh, we kind of go through this process of, of preparing to be lowered off of a cliff and uh, by someone that we had never met before. A complete stranger is who we are entrusting our lives to. And uh, so they, they, you know, we're, uh, we have the harnesses on and um, the carabiners and he's talking to us about how um, the rope will go around our waist and we'll be letting it out and he is holding on to it and it goes back and around a, a tree behind him and we have nothing to fear, you know, um, and, and all of that. And so all of this is sounding crazy, but without a doubt, the most counterintuitive thing that he said was after we, um, one at a time, what we would do is we would... We would uh, back up to the cliff, and he said, back up to, so your heels are over the edge. So you're just kind of balancing on the, on the balls of your feet there, um, and uh, your life is flashing before your eyes. And then the most counterintuitive thing that he says is, okay, now I want you to lean back. Lean back over air. Basically, is what it is. There's, there's nothing there that's going to stop you from what is 100 feet below. But he says to lean back, and he explains that when you lean back and kind of sit down a little bit as you do, then your feet are able to go flat against the, the face of the cliff, and then you can slowly begin walking your way down. But everything in you is thinking, stay upright. Everything in you is saying, cling to the thing 
that he is asking you to lean away from. And, and what each of us learned kind of the hard way is if you don't stay leaned back, if you try to just kind of go with what your gut says, and that is to stand up right, you end up kind of skidding face first down the, the side of the cliff. And so really it, it, the whole experience boiled down to trust. Are we going to really lean back? And by lean back, I don't mean just kind of just a little bit, but he was saying, you know, your back is almost parallel to the ground, that kind of leaning back. And so this whole experience really boiled down to trust. Now, as we look at Psalm 23, and if you uh, have a Bible app, you can go ahead and, and turn to Psalm 23. If you want to use the uh, pew Bibles there, Psalms is kind of located right there in the middle. And uh, you can probably find it that way. We'll have it on the screens. And um, this Psalm is basically founded upon this idea of trust. There will be some times, and we're going to look at this psalm this week and, and the next two weeks, but there will be times where um, Psalm 23 doesn't sound like it's just this nice, quiet, serene guitar playing in the background psalm. There are times when darkness moves in, um, when you find yourself in a valley, but there is still this calling to trust and really, this 23rd Psalm will only make sense to us when we have this deep trust in God as our shepherd. And I don't want to assume that you already have that trust. I don't want to assume that, um, that even if you have been walking with God for a long time, that you are in a season right now of trusting. Maybe you're really struggling with some stuff. But I want to describe this beautiful life that is ours when we trust. And these aren't necessarily things that we do in order to earn God's trust or um, anything like that. This is a description of a life of trust where sheep trust in their shepherd. And it begins, Psalm 23, verse 1, begins with a rather audacious claim. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? I mean, that's pretty bold for somebody to say, I don't lack anything. I don't need a thing. Now, we, we live in a culture where we might hear someone proudly say, I don't need anything. I don't need you. I don't need anything. I, I've done this all myself. And that's not at all the heart behind this. It is this place of deep rest that comes from trust in God that says, because of him, because of all that he is, I don't lack a thing. And with this bold claim, we begin to realize that trust and confidence in God is going to be really important for us as we move ahead. Now, your thought may be similar to mine when I'm on that cliff. When I'm leaning back, it just didn't seem right. I couldn't, I couldn't, in my head, I didn't know how this was going to play out. And in our spiritual journeys, we will come to those times where God is, is calling us to trust him. And our urge may be to cling to the very things that he is saying to let go of, um, to fall back into his arms, to lean into him in a new way. So if we take God up on this, if we are going to trust him, if we are going to lean back and, and trust him as the good shepherd, what can we expect? What will our life 
look like because it will be different. It will be significantly different. So um, let me pray, and then we'll jump into some of these descriptions. Um, Father, I thank you that um, you are so much bigger and stronger than what we feel in any given moment. Um, I thank you that you are a God who can be trusted, and many of us in this room have leaned on you and trusted you and um, have a great testimony as a result. Um, And also, many of us, many of us same people, can also share stories of times when we we trusted more in ourselves or in things. And so I pray that in this this world that throws so many things at us, um, that encourages us to put our heart and trust into so many things beside you, I, I pray that we will hear your music being sung over our soul and it will lead us to this place of deep and quiet rest and trust in you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So this, um, this life of deep trust, um, David describes it using shepherding terms. Um, we are not as familiar with some of these, but they will be able to come to us pretty, pretty readily, even if you um, have never, uh, even if your resume does not include shepherding at some point in your life. Uh, but David, just as a reminder, in his younger years, before he was this warrior and king, he was a shepherd poet. And this is where he um, lived his days, especially as a teenager. And he describes this, uh, this shepherding uh, being the sheep as, as beginning with, he makes me lie down in green pastures. As he thinks of the Lord, as he thinks and sees the Lord as, as one he can be, who can be trusted as a shepherd, David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. The Lord himself is the one who makes sure that I am nourished, that I am well-fed physically and spiritually, and that I am satisfied. Now, this, this is an interesting picture. Um, sheep don't eat lying down. So when it's saying he makes me lie down in green pastures, it's not, they weren't lying down so they could be closer to the grass. Sheep lie down after they have eaten and after they are satisfied. So lying down in green pastures is sheep body language for I lack nothing. I don't need a thing. I am fully satisfied with what has been provided for me. This sheep shepherd theme um, occurs several places uh, throughout scripture. And there's this story that takes place in the New Testament. Mark uh, relays it to us in his gospel. And we see not only that he mentions this shepherd sheep, parallel, but he also describes a setting where Jesus acts as though he is a shepherd. And so see if you can kind of pick up on some of that as I read this. Mark 6, verse 34, when Jesus landed, um, and when it says landed there, if you don't have any context, it's not like he was in a plane and he landed. It was his boat that landed on shore. He was uh, seeking a respite from the crowds, but he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties 
taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were what? Satisfied. Here's a crowd of 5,000 men plus their wives and children, all satisfied. Sitting in this lush green meadow, Mark obviously makes the parallel. He makes this connect. And I wonder how many people there that day, a light came on. People that had sung this 23rd Psalm, they were a part of yet another generation that was singing this 23rd Psalm as a part of their liturgy. And I wonder if that light came on. They're like, this, this is the good shepherd. And they began to see these, these parallels taking place. Sheep and green pastures, they were full they were satisfied. They lack nothing. Now, I've always kind of thought it was strange that this word makes, uh, the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. And my first thought, my initial thought was that he kind of wrestles us down, like he makes us do it. Whether we want to or not, he makes us lie down in green pastures. And that's not at all what he's talking about there. He's actually, he's saying he allows us to, he gives us consent to do what we were created to do to begin with. So in other words, when it says he makes us lie down in green pastures, he's saying he has made us, he created us in a way that we were to go to green pastures and to feed and then to lie down. We were made to be nourished by God. That's what you and I were made for. And so as we run around this world trying to satisfy ourselves outside of these green pastures, we are not actually doing what we were created, what we were made to do. So let me ask you, how is your diet? What is it that you are feasting on? I can speak for myself and say that I am most satisfied in life when I am feasting on God and his word. When I regularly am opening my mouth, opening my heart up to what God wants to fill me with and to satisfy me with in his word. Um, my diet involves reading God's word, chewing on God's word, which is kind of a literal way of saying meditating on it. Um, I study it. I ask other people questions about it. I want to learn more about it. I memorize it. I mull it over. I talk about it with family and friends. This is a part of feasting on God's word. And I know that when I am truly feasting on God's word, my heart is full. I can say in those moments, I don't feel like I lack anything. I don't need anything because this is what God's word is doing in me. We encourage you um, in a variety of ways to engage in scripture. If you're in a life group, um, you'll have an opportunity this week, if your group is following the uh, sermon discussion notes, to look at this passage more specifically in Mark chapter 6. Um, so you'll be able to open up the scripture and engage in scripture that way in community. We've also invited you to be a part of a Bible reading plan. Uh, let's read the Bible together. It's an opportunity for us not to wander out into a green pasture by ourselves, but to realize we are surrounded by sheep just like us um, who are hungry and desire for God to feed us. Um, this Bible reading plan does take you through the Bible in a year, but it, um, we all start in the same spot at the beginning of each month. And so um, you can jump in. We've got bookmarks in the back, or you can... Um, Find it 
through our church app, um, through the uh, YouVersion Bible app, things like that. There is a verse in particular that we'll be looking at. Um, one of the books that's featured in the month of June in this Bible reading plan is the book of Philippians, which is a letter that Paul wrote from prison, and he speaks of contentment in this. In Philippians 4, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I lack nothing. Paul knows what it is to say, I don't need anything. And I can do this because of God's strength. You were made for feeding on God's word. You were created to feed on God's word. So we, we lean back and we trust in God for our nourishment, for the food that we need. And we also lean back and trust that he is going to lead us beside quiet waters. So what does this mean? To be led beside quiet waters. That in and of itself has um, a good mental effect on most of us. In fact, studies have been done that people that live near bodies of water actually have um, lower levels of stress in their bodies. Their, their, their physical uh, manifestations of stress are lower by those that live close to bodies of water. And that's um, the closest we have in our house is uh, this one toilet that we uh, keeps <laughs> overflowing. It's, it's but it's very serene, very serene, um, the way that it runs all night, and we can't get it to shut off. But um, no, um, he leads us beside quiet waters. This word quiet actually could more literally be translated as restful. He leads me beside restful waters. And so it's a picture of serenity and rest, as we've been talking about. So how do you know when you're in desperate need of rest? Besides the fact that right now, you're struggling to stay awake as I'm talking. <laughs> what are other indicators that maybe you need a little bit? Some of you are looking around. Was I the only one? Was I? Yeah. Um, how do you know when you're in desperate need of rest? Or maybe, let me put it this way. What are the signs that you're overextended? What are the signs that, you know, there's one thing to be tired, but can we agree that there's a level that's kind of like dangerous tired? So what does, that, what does that look like? And I want to give you just a few characteristics of this. And um, not as a, uh, you know, a shaming, finger-pointing type of a thing, but just to, awake us, uh, to, uh, to awaken us to the need that we have for rest and to recognize that we have a good shepherd who wants to give us rest. Um, so the, the list is going to be on the screen, but I'm going to go through them uh, and give a very brief explanation of each one. But um, you're probably overextended or in desperate need of rest when you're involved in compulsive, frenetic activities. In other words, you're at a place in your life where you find it very difficult to be still. Right now, you're being still, and this is like a record for you. You haven't sat this still in a long time. What is it like when you grow to that point when you just feel so ungrounded that you can't be still? You have to constantly be doing something. Secondly, irritability. Under the surface of your life, there is this irritability. And a lot of times it's due to a lack of margin. And I think the most frustrating thing for me as I think about when I am overextended and I'm irritable is um, 
I, I tend to take this out on the people that I love the most and that are closest to me. When I am irritable, um, Beth and the kids are the first to kind of feel the ill effects of me needing rest. I say this kind of in a joking way, but it, I'm, I'm dead serious at the same time. Beth will say to me at times, like when I'm in the midst of a rant or some kind of display of irritability, she's like, you know, you, you really need to kind of go to Starbucks for a little bit, don't you? And that's really, that is her way, not just of getting me out of the house, but it's, it's her way of saying, you need to go somewhere and just take a deep breath, don't you? Um, and sometimes we need that when we, when we find ourselves we, um, irritable. Maybe we can't quite put our finger on it, uh, but in the context of community, you know, we've got those people that love us and say, hey, um, this is looking like dangerous tired to me. You know, the things that you should be taking in stride, you're not able to do right now. Uh, numbness. This is a, a scary indicator of our need for rest. Um, we were created to feel a wide range of emotions. And depending on your personality type and maybe family upbringing, you've spent most of your life trying to suppress emotions. But really, God gave you emotions for you to feel and for those feelings to be a warning to you of things that are good or things that are bad, of things that need to be in your life, of things that shouldn't be in your life. And so if we grow to a point where we don't feel, if we are growing to a point or dying more to a point where we are numb, where we're not experiencing the highs and the joys of life, and we're not even really noticing or aware of the lows of life, that's a dangerous place for us to be. God wants us to experience those motions and for him to have our attention through them. Uh, fourth, adopting escapist behaviors. This could be any type of uh, compulsive uh, eating, substance abuse. Um, it's one thing to watch Netflix. I think that's a good thing if you want to just kind of chill for a little bit. Um, but what does it look like when you're kind of using Netflix as an escape from what's really going on? Um, when um, that series that you just watched over the last four and a half days and all the skipped meals and everything else, whatever it is. Um, it could be uncontrolled spending. It could be um, pornography. It could be a wide variety of things. God invites us to retreat, which is very different than escape. Do you understand the difference? Um, God invites us to rest, to seek times of retreat. The world is going to offer us an unlimited number of escapes. But our true rest, those quiet waters are found in retreat, not escape. Um, continually interrupted sleep or the inability to sleep is also an indicator of our need for rest. Uh, don't need to say we are a culture that is addicted to sleeping, uh, sleeping pills. And we, we have trouble sleeping at night. We have trouble staying awake during the day. So we medicate both, whether it's with caffeine or different kinds of, of, of drugs. But the point is, you don't want to get to the point of being so tired that you can't hear from God and care for others. You're here for a very significant reason, and you need to have the energy that God wants you to have so that he can work through you in the lives of others. Um, does life feel out of control? We need rest when we find ourselves powerless to stop the things that we know we shouldn't be doing or powerless to start doing the things that we know we need to be doing that would be good and healthy? Do we lack the energy to choose energizing, life-giving activities? And this is where I think we need good friends, accountability. 
Um, I hate to use the word intervention. That might sound a little too strong. But sometimes we just lack the energy to make good choices for ourselves, And that's where a good friend comes into play. That good friend that says, hey, I know you've not been exercising in a while. I'm going to be by first thing tomorrow morning. I'm picking you up and you and I are both going to the gym. We're going to work out together. It could be um, that good friend that recognizes that spiritually, maybe you're not nourishing yourself. And that is the person that's going to call you every afternoon and say, hey, I just wanted to check in. Um, You told me you were going to read your Bible during your lunch break at work. How'd that go? Let me share with you some things that God showed me in scripture, and I'd like to hear what God is showing you. Sometimes we need someone to help us get those life-giving energy, energizing activities going. And then the last one is just going through the motions. Uh, We are in desperate need of rest when we find ourselves living in a way that is contrary to our values. We are just going through the motions in a way that we recognize who we feel that God has created us to be is not the way that we are living our lives. So we are a very, very tired people. But God created us to trust him and to experience this retreat and rest. Now, there is a challenge in this, um, and I've had a lot of conversations with people over the years. As I, as I talk about our need for rest, and kind of one of the spiritual terms for that is contemplation, people kind of counter that with, well, we, are we just going to withdraw and, into our little Christian bubbles and just read our Bibles and navel gaze? Are, is that what this is about? Is we just kind of find our little quiet stream, and it's just all about us. I've got a job to do. I got a family to support. I've got all these people counting on me, you know, and so how do we balance basically what is an active life and a contemplative life? And I don't think it's an either or, I think it's a both and. We were created for work and rest. We were created for active contemplation. So what does active contemplation look like? Um, there is a restlessness that is at the root of activity that is done in an attempt to save ourselves. But with true godly ambition, we can find a rest because we are confident in the midst of our ambition, we are confident that what Jesus has done is enough. We can work with this mindset, trusting that I don't need anything. This isn't a striving on my own. I'm just partnering with God in this. Let me give you a biblical example. Um, of, of what this looks like when we don't have our priorities aligned. In Genesis 11, there was a very ambitious group in society who decided they were going to build a city, and in this city there was going to be a tower that reached to the heavens. And so with these grandiose plans, this is what they were going to do. And then in verse 4 is this phrase, we do this so that we may make a name for ourselves. And so I think the big difference between um, the work that we strive for versus the work that God calls us to that leads to rest is are we seeking to make a name for ourselves or are we going to stop robbing God of his glory and trust that what he has done is enough? Um, I read a book recently called Called to Create by Jordan Rayner, and this is what he says Uh, specifically about this passage in Genesis, but also about our call to work and to create and how we are are beings that 
can do good things through our work. He says, creating a tower, a new business, a piece of art, or a piece of music is not inherently bad. Our work can and does reveal God's character and love and is intended to serve others. But when we work out of a desire to make a name for ourselves, or to put it in more modern terms, to accumulate fame and fortune, we are essentially trying to save ourselves. But as Christians, we know that the work of salvation is complete because Jesus said, it is finished. We no longer have to use our work as a means of saving ourselves. Because of the gospel, we are free to work and create, not as a means of making a name for ourselves, but as an act of worship to the one who made us, saved us, and, listen to this, and provides all we need. Again, all we need. I don't need a thing. I can work, and I'm free to work, with this deep belief that I lack nothing. I want to go back up to verse 1. And David begins by saying that um, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And have you ever noticed that in some places in the Bible where it says Lord, it's in all capitals? And if you've noticed that, what that is saying is um, it's a special word. It's like the proper name for God known as Jehovah or Yahweh. Um, There was, uh, they didn't, the Hebrew alphabet at the time did not have consonants. So it was the consonants, uh, the, uh, did not have vowels. And so it was just Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey were the, um, three Hebrew letters, four of them total. And this was their way of, they just had this uh, such reverence for the name of God that they didn't even feel like it was right for them to say that full name. And so where it says here in Psalm 23, it says Lord in all caps, And uh, we would translate that as Jehovah, or in the more uh, proper Hebrew pronunciation, it would be Yehovah. And this word Jehovah, Yehovah, combines the three words from the Hebrew language. They are three tenses of the verb be. And what these three tenses are, it has to do with being in the past tense, being in the present tense, and a being in the future tense. In other words, Jehovah always has been, always is, always will be. Jehovah, this self-existing one, this um, self-subsistent one, has always been. He is fully here right now, and he will always be. David is saying the one who was and is and will always be, he is my shepherd. When David finds himself backed up on a cliff, his heels hanging over the edge, and he hears someone saying, lean back, he realizes that someone is the Lord God, Jehovah, the one who has been, is, and will always be, the one who is self-sustaining, self-sufficient, all-powerful. He is self-determining. In him... All life exists. In God, he, does not, he is not dependent upon life outside of him to continue to exist, as though you and I are. You and I cannot exist just in and of ourselves. We need resources from outside of ourselves if we are going to continue to live. Next time you inhale, 
you are reminded of the fact that you need something from outside of you if you are going to live. God himself needs no other thing or person to continue to exist. His power will never wane. This is who he is. In John 5, Jesus declares this, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So all of this life is in him. This Jehovah, this this Lord God who was and is and will always be, has life in himself. When Moses um, was confronted by the Lord and the Lord said to Moses, I want you to go and free my people from Egypt, from slavery. Moses said, and who will I tell these people is sending me? And the name, as strange as it was, God said, my name is I am. Jehovah. I am the God who has always been, who is and will always be. We lack nothing because the Lord lacks nothing. We lack nothing because we as sheep are being led by a shepherd who lacks nothing. We can rest, we can be restored, we can be fed because God is a never-ending presence. The Lord God is, always has been, and always will be. And then David says um, in verse 2, he refreshes my soul. This is a picture of a shepherd caring for his sheep, um, refreshing his soul. And I thought about the ways that God refreshes my soul. And the word refresh really captured my attention over the last um, several days as I've been contemplating this passage. And I I thought about on your computer screen where it has the two arrows in a circle kind of following each other. And you click refresh and those circles start going around. It's like a a dog chasing its tail, those two arrows going around. And when you do that, I'm certainly not a computer guy, but basically what I see is happening is my screen is updated with the newest, freshest information when I refresh that. It is reaching back to this information and is pulling it to the forefront. The newest, the latest, the most up-to-date information right there. So I got to thinking, what would my life be like if I allowed God to refresh my soul? What is it that needs to come back to the forefront of my thoughts on a regular basis as a way of the shepherd refreshing me. I thought of these passages and I want to share them with you in Luke 3 beginning in verse 21. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. We can be refreshed every morning with his mercies. Matthew 6, give us this day our daily bread. Refresh. Every day, he wants to feed us. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is like the ultimate refresh. Where he says, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, if you have chosen to be a sheep in my flock, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jeremiah 29.11 I know the plans I have for you, plans of hope and a future. This is what it is. We can be refreshed in our souls as he tells us over and again and brings this to the forefront. Our beliefs play a very significant role 
in our actions. In fact, I think we really, this word belief is kind of cheapened in our society. Um, we kind of think of it just simply as head knowledge. I believe, you know, whatever it is that you believe. I believe in gravity. I believe that the warriors are going to win today. Whatever. You know, these are, these are some things. I believe that uh, this JR guy is going to help us win again. Whatever it is. But our beliefs, if we really believe them, are going to give shape to our actions. Do we really believe that the Lord, Jehovah, is our good shepherd? Because if we really believe him, believe who he is, then we'll place our trust in him. We will lean back and fully believe that we live lives without lack. When we truly believe, it impacts the way that we go about our day. And I was thinking of uh, this passage came to mind in Luke 21 of this, this lady, a widow is how she's identified, who apparently had a belief that she lacked nothing because of her actions in the church one day. And this is how it reads. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. See, what this lady understood was the key to contentment is not in having everything. It's realizing that you lack nothing. She did not have everything. But she believed that she lacked nothing. And because of that belief, she showed it in her actions. Do you believe that because of our good shepherd, that you lack nothing? We're going to conclude um, this morning's service by taking up the offering. Now, I want to be really clear in saying um, we're not putting it at the end right after that as a way of manipulating you into giving your very last penny like this widow did. But I'm just saying... When we really do believe that we lack nothing, we are able to live our lives generously. We really are free to experience a level of trust that we've never known before. Some of you came prepared uh, to give in the offering, and that's great, but I want to kind of step out of just this little time of giving. What would your week look like if with every person you encountered, you had this thought going through your head, that you lack nothing. The God who was and is and will always be is your good shepherd. He is providing for you. And out of this deep truth, how are you able to live generously and, and give yourself to the people around you? So I'm going to ask you um, just to, to go ahead and bow your heads. And I want to let you reflect on a few things. And, and then we're going we're gonna to stand and sing and take our offering in just a moment. But for now, stay seated. And uh, reflect on this. What would you give if you truly believe deep down in your gut that you lack nothing? Now, maybe your first thought is something monetarily, but what would you give of your time if you believe that because God is your shepherd, you do not even lack time in your day? 
whether you are getting to one of the later seasons of your life or you are in such a busy season of your life that you think the last thing that you have extra of is time, what if you really leaned back into this? And God said, I want you to know right now, you don't lack a thing. You don't even lack the time necessary to give yourself in service to someone else. What would your day look like? Another question, what would your day look like if you ceased to be driven by fear and scarcity? Has that deep belief and concern living out of scarcity, how has that driven your life and what would your day look like to be freed from that? And just in any way, how could you be a blessing to others? Leaning back into the fact that God will supply all your needs. He is the good shepherd. And you lack nothing. Father, I thank you for truth. And I pray that you will give us the courage to lean back, to trust. Lord, our minds, our finite minds, cannot comprehend the infiniteness of your being, how you were always here. We cannot comprehend how fully present you are here right now with us, nor can we fully comprehend how you will always be for every day on into eternity. Lord, we accept this as truth, and may we walk in the way of truth. Lord, for my, my friends here that are hungry, Lord, I pray that they will realize that they are made to lie down in green pastures. Fill them, satisfy them. Lord, for my friends who are dangerously tired, lead them beside quiet waters. Lord, refresh and restore our souls. It's in your name I pray. Amen.